0: When I was 12 years old, um, in camp, I was molested by a learning teacher.
1: I think every single person I know who confronted their abuser, this is a question that they
0: asked. The question is, what do you see in me? What about my personality allows me to be the one who's molested? I know people who, if I, I share my story with, they're like, I don't want to hear it. They just can't hear it.
1: That there has not been a bigger desecration of God's name in the Orthodox Jewish community than the mishandling of child sexual abuse. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right, I'm sitting here with Herschel Stevens. Herschel Stevens, um, this is not your primary occupation going on podcasts. (laughs) No. You're not... um, Driving anyone to any business or anything like that. No. So we know it's real. <laughs> no agenda. <laughs> no agenda. Good, good. That's the, we, uh, that's the way we like it. So my understanding is that uh, you did a podcast a few years ago on yeah. Shamas with uh, my dear friend, Maisha Dov. Yeah, love that guy. He's been in that seat a couple of times. Yes, yes. So, um, Talking about that experience a little bit of the decision to... Share your story there, and what changed afterwards, and obviously you're you're here back. So,
0: um, talking about my experience was difficult at first, especially when I think I first shared my story. I was about fifteen, but the more I talked about it, and then you know pressing charges and testifying, and you had literally have to stand and or sit in front of. 12 random strangers. And so you're jumping a little further in. I haven't. No, but I'm saying right. the more you share about it, right, so the, what's easier the easier it gets.
1: Okay, so, but you're talking about pressing charges and some other things. So you're starting to say a story. What's the that, story?
0: The story is <laughs> <laughs> when I was 12 years old um, in camp, I was molested by a learning teacher who was essentially spending the whole time with us. It was, a, it was like a seventh, uh, seventh grade program. Got it. So, it was like we had our own bunkhouse, separate from everything else, and uh, I spent the month there, and that's where that happened.
1: Got it. You grew up Chabad. Grew up Chabad. This was a Chabad camp. It was. Yeah. Got it. At the time, how did you uh, deal with it?
0: Um, did you tell someone at the time that it was happening? Or no. Bring it up? Okay. No, I didn't tell anybody for a, I think two and a half, three years. And okay. I just had to sit with it. Um, so the one-time
1: occurrence, was it something that happened repeatedly?
0: It was something that happened pretty early on after I got there. And then it took me about, I shut it down for two weeks. And then it, it happened again at the end, towards gotcha. the end. But it was, it kind of felt like it was happening the whole time. Do you I share- was definitely being pressured the whole time.
1: I got you. Meaning you felt that the um, interactions were with him throughout were motivated by yeah. 100%. They were sexually driven in some way. Yeah. Are you comfortable sharing some of the details? Because it can be so vague when someone says sexual abuse. And I find that I know when I shared my story of it, I didn't go super graphic and mm-hmm. speak. Like let's say I don't I don't want to talk in ways that necessarily bring up too many images for someone else, like not using um very graphic words, but at the same point in time being clear about what um what it is we're talking about. If a parent is listening in and saying okay, this is something that can affect someone years later, or this is the type of thing that can go on. Are you comfortable sharing more about what you mean by sexual abuse?
0: Um, Sexual abuse. So my story, I mean, I know what the the charges that were filed, Mm -hmm. they sound a lot scarier than like, okay, so he was charged with uh, attempted sodomy in the first degree and sodomy in the first degree. And sodomy means any kind of form of penetration. So that's what he was looking at. All the other charges were past the statute of limitations. So when people think sodomy in like the general sense of the word, the way it's usually used, it's pretty scary. But um, there was that that did occur.
1: Understood. Okay.
0: So. And it could be either way. So whether it doesn't matter who's penetrating who. Right. When there's an adult. An t- adult and a child.
1: There's an interaction, there's attempted or actual penetration. Yeah.
0: then those are the yeah.
1: okay, so so now that we understand what we're uh, talking about. So for two and a half years, you kept this inside yeah. you. Yeah. Do you remember what that was like and the eventual decision to share and who you shared with?
0: And So I didn't make the decision to share. Um, I think we had the same teacher in seventh grade and eighth grade, and he told me the whole eighth grade He's was like, "You came back. You're like you're not the same kid. I had last year.
1: Okay, when we had the same, t- Okay, you're saying that my you, teacher, t- your class. I mean, my teacher.
0: teacher, yeah, okay. would tell me you're not the same kid I had last year.
1: Oh, wow, that's incredible.
0: I was like one day dialed in and then one day just didn't care at all. I remember my test scores being 100, 0, 100, 0. Because for me, and maybe I am a black and white person across the board, but for me, if I wasn't in it, You know, people would ask on the test, like, why did Rava say this when a buy Like asking Gemara questions, and I would just respond, why not? Or just stupid things like that. I just couldn't buy into it. And then if I wanted to, I could crush it. But then yeshiva started, um, and then you add puberty and the hormones and everything, and I was very angry, splashing out all the time for no reason. Um, What do you mean for no reason? For a good reason. I mean, for a good reason, but for, you know, your For no average, apparent reason. Yeah, I mean, right. I'd come in, we were in the dorm, I'd come into the room and someone would be sitting on my bed and I'd just lose it. Oh, understood. Like, what are you doing? Everyone sits on each other's bed. If you're in their room, like, what's the big deal? Right, and
1: this was not something that that was happening with you before no. this camp experience.
0: No, I was like a little tatala before. I was a, I was a good kid.
1: So your 7th and 8th grade teacher noticed something was off? Yeah. But it was a couple years later that you actually...
0: It, so I remember we had a next-door neighbor. My parents and, and I had a neighbor who was uh, kind of like a life coach. Um, and he saw me crossing the street one day onto our street. And I was crossing at the stop sign, and a car had stopped. And I just kind of was death-staring the guy who stopped to let me cross. And he saw it, and he was like, that's not normal. Like, why is he so angry? Like, why is he just doing that? Uh, he approached my parents, and he said, there's something going on with him. And my parents were like, we know. Um, they tried to send me to a therapist, and I just stood there. and didn't talk. I didn't say anything to him. Uh, so they were like, something's going on. We don't know what it is. So he offered to pull me out of Yashiva every Tuesday just to chat.
1: This neighbor slash life yeah, coach. yeah.
0: So he did and i took every opportunity to leave yeshiva <laughs> i was like mm-hmm. sure i'll do this and um it took months and eventually we were in a it was uh it was a shabbos evening and uh we were we were chatting and the room got dark and you can't turn the light on so mm-hmm. we were there and i just said in hebrew Zaya it was my it was my counselor just said right. it like that and uh it was like, that's when the ball started rolling on, on recovery, essentially.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: He told my parents, um, you know, as soon as, as soon as you know what the problem is, you can start mm-hmm. addressing it. I went back to Yeshiva and they basically met with him, found out, and then like ran over to Yeshiva, picked me up, took me for ice cream. And I remember sitting in the van and they were in the, the front seat and I'm in the middle row over there. They being your parents, right? My now. parents, yeah. yeah, and they're facing forward, uh, so there's no eye contact. the The car's dark, and they just said, you know, we had no idea, and we got you. We're gonna figure this out," which I think is the key to everything.
1: Right, that's pretty cool, um, like aspect of your story that I don't hear very often. I'm not sure if you, if you recognize it, but the the, the adults you had in your life at that time, not blaming you, but thinking that there's something going on that's a a pretty mature approach to seeing someone change it doesn't happen every day you know that right?
0: yeah yeah i i i hear a lot of stories of people who you know uh i mean it gets tricky a lot of people have their their abusers were family which is even more complicated uh and they themselves are scared to come out because they know it will wreck the whole family dynamic but um for me, it was it was easy that he wasn't part of the family. It was easy that it was, like, an isolated situation. Right. Um, but my parents were, you know, the only thing you can hope for. And right. I think I I owe everything to them.
1: There were several people in your story, right? Your seventh, eighth grade teacher saying yeah. that you're not the same. Your parents, the life coach, just, yeah. like, that, that recognition that something's off. I was at lunch... Um, not long ago with, uh, I don't know, a few couples' birthday lunch, and um, one of them said, oh, my middle child is a total terrorist. Ever since my youngest was born, they've just been terrorizing everything. And they said it in in a way that there was something wrong with their child when, obviously, when you say it like that, it's so obvious that there was some need that all of a sudden wasn't getting met anymore after the youngest was born, but they turned the child into the terrorist.
0: Yeah projecting much right
1: and that what that wasn't and that's actually more common than not so I just kind of wanted to highlight and maybe send some uh, gratitude yeah. and love to those adults and you yeah. that did that I mean
0: yeah there are so many people along the way but it obviously all starts with my parents I mean right. uh, we there's a big famous story there's a documentary about it about a, a from family in Australia and uh, essentially when he came forward with his story his parents father was ostracized so much that he couldn't even you know say he couldn't get an aliyah for his father's yard site right the,
1: the father was the ostracized father the...
0: was ostracized for what his son was right doing. yes and he couldn't say kaddish in the shul he couldn't he couldn't be the chazan he couldn't lead the prayers or anything and my parents i don't think they even thought about that they didn't care they were going to support me no matter what right and it turns out we were supported more or less by the fact by, by, the... by the whole community
1: awesome Okay, so let's get back to the uh, story. I didn't want to um, hijack it too much. I just wanted to say something and then get back to the cool. story. So f- 15, you start talking about your story, and then eventually you end up pressing, pressing charges.
0: Pressing charges. I was uh, uh, then in New York State. There was a statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. I'm um, familiar with it. And uh, they've since wiped it, so now you can come forward at any time.
1: But um, They've amended it, not exactly... Maybe like they've certain, given a window.
0: Okay, I mean I like I
1: think a, a window afterwards that you can come back if you missed it.
0: Oh, is that what they did? Right,
1: but I don't think there's like no status. But I think if something ever.
0: happens now,
1: then it's forever. I think maybe yeah. That I don't. Um, know. I knew that in my case there was like it wasn't relevant anymore because at that point I had gotten what I what I uh, wanted to what I wanted, but there was a window open. To anyone who missed it because of the previous statute of limitations, both civilly right. and criminally, so right. that I know, about. maybe I don't know what would happen if someone did it today.
0: So my dad told me, he's like, you know, the statute of limitations about you know about to run out. If you want to do anything about it, now's the time.
1: Oh right, oh right, right, right. So, so what's so it? You did something at what age?
0: Uh, nineteen. I so said, nineteen. I think it was about eight years since. Right. So now close I recall to seven years. If or?
1: there was, if there was a. T- Penetration, then I think it was a five year statute of limitations. If there was none, then it was one year after 18th birthday.
0: Right. So that's what yeah. it was. It was at, he, My dad was like, You're about to turn. I think we went in October or something crazy when, when we went to press charges. Yeah. It was in, right before my, my 19th birthday, I think. Right. You know
1: what this, you know, it's a, you know, why that's so crazy is the stats are that the average man who's abused, and I think it's a little bit harder for men who are sexually abused to talk about it, doesn't talk about it until their 40s. 40s. 40s, yeah. That's what I've seen. Yeah. And I think a lot of people take it to the grave. A hundred percent. Right. It's for the people who talk about it. The average person talks about it in the forties. They, they
0: come to it with all the, I mean, they talk about it in the forties is because they have 40 years of regret. <laughs> so, right. It's crazy. Yeah. Um,
1: so, right. That's what, like, the, for the law to give someone, all right, your dad's coming to you and saying, oh, you're running out at 19 years old. Like, doesn't understand. Like, the, the secret that this normally buries someone with. But at that point.
0: Right. But I mean, he gave me the, he, he was like, it's up to you. It's yeah. your choice. But you should know before you turn 19 that once you do, it's over. At Got that it. time, that's what, we, that's what we thought. So what I did was uh, we looked him up on Facebook and his profile picture was him sitting there with like six kids. Uh-huh. Uh, like three kids on his lap. I think they were one of his nieces or nephews. And I just like immediate was like, we can't let this happen. Like, I've got to press charges. So, yeah, we went to New York, walked into the police station, had, like, a bunch of flyers and, like, the ad The ad that we saw for the camp, which is why I ended up there, and the flights and everything. Like, my dad had saved everything. And, um, you know, press charges. We got there. They said, it's been seven years. It's your word against his. So uh, you're going to have to call him and get him to admit to it on the phone. Um, so we did. We recorded the phone call. I had to, like, hang out of the window of the police station so it sounded like I was on the street, not in an office. But, um, yeah, got to, got to get him to essentially admit to it, not deny it.
1: Right. And that was enough to move forward and press drugs? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh-huh. the cops were listening into the call while it was taking place?
0: It, they had, like, a... Sp- piece that i was holding to the phone that they were recording um and i remember i remember the detective being like say the word molested like in the background like you have to say it um yeah so i got to ask him a few questions i wanted to ask um i don't know if the answers were satisfactory do you remember what those questions were um yeah some of them were i mean he told me he loved me right
1: on the call or no
0: back back when it was happening Um, and obviously as a 12 year old, you don't know what that means, but you know that it, it has gravity. So you kind of, I like, I remember then I felt like I owed him something for him saying that. Um, so, you know, I was telling him that in the relationship that I was in at the time, his definition of love has messed up what I'm trying to define as love now. Like trying to, I was trying to tell him that he's messed up what love means to me.
1: You said that at 19?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I also asked him, why me? Um, which I think is a big question for a lot of people. Why me? I mean, there were <laughs> 20 other kids there. Um, he, he said wrong place at the wrong time. That was
1: his answer to it? That
0: was his answer. But it still doesn't answer the question to me. Although I think I know why. Go they ahead. can smell them. They could smell who's susceptible.
1: Say more. Um,
0: I think that abusers are very adept at sensing who is a little bit hurt or who has, who's questioning things or who feels a little out of place. I mean, for me, it started, it was kind of like uh, low-hanging fruit. I got there, it's a two-month program. And in Toronto, they have a, a, A hater camp. So the Toronto boys always only got there for the second month. So anytime we come to camp, everyone's already gelled for a month. Right. And I remember getting to camp, walking into the bunkhouse, and the place was an absolute gong show. Everyone's running around and, you know, being their 12 year old selves. And I was way out of my element. And my parents had driven me down. It happened like near Monticello. My parents had driven me down. And they were about to leave and I ran down the, the, the hill and I was crying and I said, don't take me back home. I don't want to stay here with these crazy kids. And uh, they turned me around and they had I'm, all the counselors, him included. And they said, you know, I remember my mom saying like, this is my uh, crown, like my crown jewel. Take care of him. My mon- only son. And the, the take care of him. And then left me. And my mom tells me like, She said that to who? She to my counselors and, you know, the people who were going to take care of right. me that month. And uh, she said not
1: necessarily the one who ended up abusing you.
0: Yeah, no, he also. was there. I got you. Um, but she said, I should have taken you home, you know, Shouldn't have left you. And years later, I found out from the person who worked in the office of that camp, he told me, oh, you're you're Herschel Stevens. Your mom used to call every day just to ask how you're doing. And she told me she had a pit in her stomach the entire summer.
1: What do you make of that the call every day? Was it just a pit in the stomach or was there something? Like meaning that call every day was that was that an invitation that this is someone who's
0: susceptible or was that a nervous mother who thought something was going on? Like, um, My mom's not a nervous person. I think she's tapped in and she when like when i was in i was in yeshiva in in london england and whenever i needed her to speak to her she would call like i would send her like telepathic (laughs) messages and she would call it was almost like it was crazy but i think that she's really tapped in um but she actively ignored it because you you try to believe that everything's okay. That everything is, is safe and the From community is safe. My parents are Balichuva. They really bought into moving into, you know, they became From and they've entered La La Land and nothing bad happens here. All right. So so that was their their thing. But um Do you still have that question today of why me? No, I get it. I came in there and I was out of place and I felt vulnerable and he saw it. And he took advantage. He groomed. He gave me, I had, um, I still do, insomnia. So I would be up late. Everyone was asleep. We'd hang out. We would talk in the, the common area.
1: Well, what's, what do you think is behind that question? Because I asked when I, the reason I'm uh, stuck on it is because I think every single person I know who confronted their abuser, this is a question that they asked. It was mine. And I've been involved in a number of confrontations where um, people who are sexually abused as children eventually confronted their the person who abused them. And that was, if not the first question, right? one of the first questions, why me? The way I phrased it, I still remember exactly why I phrased it when I sat down with the guy who abused me. I said, why me? Why of all the little, why of all the other little kids in the block, why did you pick me to abuse? Which was almost identical to the way you were yours. You said there were 20 other kids in the bunk. Why me? Right. <laughs> right.
0: Right. right. The so question is, what do you see in me? What about my personality allows me to be the one who's molested? Why am I the one being abused? What about me open that up? But that's still us taking responsibility. Right. That's why I feel so off. Which yes. is why now I wouldn't ask that question. Right. I, I wasn't responsible for that.
1: Right, the real answer is not
0: anything to do with you. Exactly. Right, the real answer is... And maybe his response of wrong place at wrong time is a good one because all kids are vulnerable at some point. All kids have a hard time and feel uncomfortable, and I just happened to be there when he was feeling predatory, and it, it coincided. Right. It was opportunistic for him.
1: There's um tell me what you think about this is there's also why me is kind of the ultimate victim question, yeah, why me, and as these things get resolved um or more resolved the that victim consciousness kind of fades or reduces, and then that question is not as uh as prevalent but it's kind of the ultimate victim question of why me.
0: I hear that. I hear that. I mean, I don't, I don't think why me anymore. It doesn't matter. What would you, so what would you say to him today? I'd probably, I I feel a lot of pity for him. I feel really bad for him that he had to end up that way. (laughs) Um, I think that he himself was always kind of a loner and, uh, to feel like an outsider and to not to know that you're not normal, got to be difficult.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, in my uh, in my case, um, remember I left the interaction with him was a three hour meeting. I have a story online where I talk about it for a while. It's a talk. It's on YouTube called "Secrets with Jewish Community Watch." If someone is interested in that story, but at the end of this three hour interaction, which took four and a half years. To make happen, with the help of J.C.W. Jewish Community Watch, help me make that meeting happen. I walked out and I said, "I'd rather my memories than his memories."
0: Hmm. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. Which again sounds somewhat um, similar to what you're saying. Is um, like today you feel you feel pity for him.
0: Yeah, I, I feel more pity. I like I'm not happy with him. <laughs> I wouldn't sure. say I'm angry at him. I don't know what I'd do if I'd see him. If I bumped into him on the street, probably. what ended up happening with the uh, charges you pressed? Um, it was a hung jury. <laughs> I ended up uh, ended up testifying. You know, first th- before the the grand jury, then they I think they heard the recording. They said there's a case. Then I came back and testified. I had to go into th- to rehab before that for like. Um, A while, So I was like 22 when I testified. So there was the grand jury. He was indicted. Indicted. He was arrested, I think, September of that year or whatever it was. And when I was 19 or 20, close to 20. And then, yeah, I had to go. I had to go to rehab. For? Mental health stuff. I was trying to kill myself too much.
1: Gotcha. As a
0: result of bringing this? uh... I don't think it was guilt- uh, uh, no, it was just, just complete. Unhinged. I know I, I didn't ask guilt. I was just a, Yeah, just I angry. I don't think it had anything to do with the case. I think like the fact that I pressed charges or anything. I mean, it did weigh. It is something that you know, like you know, whenever the the DA's office gets around to it, I'm gonna have to go to New York. I'm gonna have to testify. I'm gonna have to give, you know, details to to strangers essentially, and tell them what happened. Um, but by the time. By the time I got to that stage where I was really dealing with what happened to me and the repercussions and all the years afterward, I was just, I I needed to go away and deal with, with all the emotions and the anxiety and the depression and the PTSD and the suicidal ideation was just getting out of hand. Got it.
1: And where are you with all that today? This whole story? These feelings, Um,
0: these ideations? think i'm good it's it's boggles my mind sometimes i look in the mirror and i don't recognize myself because the person who i was for like 10 years while trying to get better was just such a wreck i i weighed into rehab at 110 pounds i'm 20 i'm 21 years old i weigh in at 110 pounds can't keep food down anxious you know they do this uh somatic uh they had this like test you take when you get in there and they wanted to see uh how is certain things affecting you physically And things like one through 10 or something and i scored an 11 on anxiety like uh-huh. anxiety was ruling me and i left I was at a two how long were you there for i was there for two months in the menninger clinic in houston texas what's that name again menninger menninger top of the line um and then went to a step down program in the valley in California, OPI, uh, Optimum Performance Institute. I spent three months there and then back home, then back into the real world.
1: Gotcha. And since then, it's been.
0: No, it hasn't. Uh, but. Have over... you had to return back to rehabs? No. 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 Okay. I feel like that definitely changed me. I'll never, I don't think I'll, that's ever what I meant by that
1: bad. question. Not if it was a straight line up, just have you had to, uh, Richard?
0: Yeah. I haven't even like, I don't even have to think back to rehab and think about, Oh, what did I learn there? What did it feel like there? And try to like get back there. It's just, I feel like it flipped a switch and then pushed me into the world. where I was like, okay, you're good now. And yeah, I'm not saying it's easy. It's definitely, definitely had my ups and downs throughout the time. but um, Feeling a lot better. So, if, if there's someone listening to
1: this who's kind of in that place where you were at 20, 22, struggling with that, what, what would you tell them? What, what elements of your story do you feel really helped you
0: kind of get to where you are now? Um, I think there's probably two of the biggest points. Are Number one is seek help. Like, you should be in therapy. Or if somebody is if struggling, there's no reason to not be in therapy. Speak to somebody, uh, a, a social worker, a psychologist. If you have to go away to, to rehab to figure it out, you should do it. There's, there's uh, a lot of organizations that help within the community that do these things. Um, and the second point I Are there any
1: that stick out to you? Organizations within the community that, that help? do a good job? Yeah.
0: Well, I think Nishamas, Neshamas organization in Crown Heights, uh, they're doing a lot of work regarding mental health and addiction and the stigma around talking about these things. I think it's important. Um, they have a hotline. That's good stuff. Right. Um, the second most important point, I think, is for people to not hesitate to talk about it to anybody i think a lot of people feel a lot of uh not just the guilt and shame but it's so taboo people are scared to talk about it with people they don't want to like throw them off i know people who if i i share my story with they're like i don't want to hear it they just can't hear it but and a lot of people are like that and a lot of people don't talk about it because they think everyone's going to react that way right But the more I talk about it, the more I own it. I even, I mean, I think I'm a little bit of a comedian at heart, but like I'll even joke about it. And it will throw people, but I don't know. I think it's important to talk about it no matter what. And you get to own it.
1: Yeah, I found, you know, even um, let's say in recovery, I was in 12 steps for many years. So even in that setting where people have asked for help, and come for help. We refer to it as a thousand pound phone. When someone's in that moment of being stuck in a trigger and needing to call, let's say, their sponsor or an accountability um, partner in the program and reach out, just how hard it is. I think the uh, three most difficult words in the English language might be, I need help.
0: Yeah. 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 Especially for somebody who was abused and for me, it came because I was vulnerable to then again, be vulnerable and say, I need help is like doubly scary.
1: I was thinking about that in your story when you mentioned the life coach, right? So you had that interaction with him at the um, red light where you were steering him down and then he reaches out to you and starts taking you out from school. And in your story, you said, Hey, I'm, you know, thrilled to be taken out of school. I was thinking, Hey, here you are being asked to, Right. to trust someone else again.
0: It was definitely, I was probably extremely apprehensive. I think I remember because we would sit in his car and it's like, you're so close. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're so close and we're trying to like keep it casual and this is kind of the same spiel as when I was 12. We're doing the same thing where an adult or somebody in a position of more power than me mm-hmm. is sitting there being emotionally intimate with me, talking to me about things that we're not talking about in yeshiva, that's for sure. You know, um, so it's like, what? What's your what's your agenda here? Right. You know, I was very wary of him, but then eventually you see that nothing's happening. And you can learn how to trust. I also really wanted to trust somebody. I'm scared to tell my parents, but I wanted to trust them.
1: Right. Maybe more than wanted needed to. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: That's why I wanted it. Right. Um, I live by uh, Doctor Seuss's motto: "Of those who mind, don't matter, and those who matter, don't mind." It really, it really stuck with me, and I lived that way. I mean, growing up, once I was into my teenage years, started losing the religion. You know, slowly but surely, you you try to, you fight for every inch with your <laughs> with your Balchuva parents. I remember coming down with uh, we we're going on a Cholamayid trip. I'm supposed to wear Shabbos clothes on Chal- but I wore a blue button down shirt. And my dad was like, you gotta change it. So he sees the writing on the wall. Right. He's like, oh no, put on a white shirt. And I'm <coughs> standing my ground. I'm like, no, I'm not going on the trip. And everyone's yelling. <laughs> and then everything. So I see you compromised. Um, I... I'm referring to your shirt. Oh, this one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. This is it's for uh, my, yeah. the both, both half yes. of me. Um Yeah, I guess so. But To me, when you when you fight for every inch of your life, the way you want to live it, you can't care about what everyone thinks. Uh, You just got to do what's authentic to you, which is and I, I had the benefit of being able to do that from an early age. Yesterday, somebody asked me, oh, you're going on a podcast. You're going to share intimate stories about yourself and it's going to be on YouTube or wherever it's going to be forever. You're not like worried that this can come back to bite you or your kids are going to see this. Or, No, I'm not embarrassed of any of it. This is, I don't know, this is my story and I've always tried to be authentic.
1: Right. I agree with that. I commend that. So let's let's get back to where this um, conversation started. I asked you a question at the beginning about that decision several years ago to share your stories with um, Nishamas. Then we went a little bit into your story. Uh, so let's bring it back to there. So what has that been been like, this process of, of sharing your story, what have you found through this process?
0: I found that there are so many more people that are supportive than I thought would be. Every one of my friends... I haven't lost any friends because of it. I haven't had anybody at shul... I, one, one person yelled at me for making a uh, a Hashem, was what he said. Uh, but most right. people... That sounds like a major kiddish Hashem, what he just did right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> God is like beaming with pride over it this. It was moment. a different time. It was a different time. I Also, a big reason why I decided to come forward was it was right when the Libby Kletzky thing happened. Do you remember this? Yes,
1: the, when he was cut up, right? It was
0: a kid who was cut up by somebody in the community. Right. And I actually used that as an excuse of why I called him on the phone in the police station. I didn't want it to seem like, you know, I'm trying to get you to admit to it on the phone. So I told him like, this whole Libby situation has made me realize there are monsters living amongst us that we're not, we're just ignoring. So I need to deal with this. I have to know if you're not doing this to anybody else. So he was able, so then he started, oh no, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm in therapy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Trust me. I'm good. So that was like a big catalyst for why everyone was waking up. And I remember, I think I was, one of the first guys who approached JCW also. Oh, really? Wow. Before Mayor, Mayor was calling himself Pinchas. He was calling himself He Pinchas was anonymous then? then. I was talking to him on the phone, and he said, my name is Pinchas. Not my real name, but Pinchas, the guy who... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was like, you know, he was on a vendetta, and it was all hush-hush. They put my guy up on the site, and then the site was taken down for about two weeks. There were, like, lots of back-end... Threats in within the community and stuff, things were going down. I got gotcha. you. So, yeah, in, in the Toronto community, we were probably the only since maybe or you know, they JCW had an event and uh, mayor asked me to speak, and my dad said everyone knows survivor stories. What about the father or a parent? And my dad spoke like he showed like my parents showed so much support to my to my incredible yeah. Yeah, same in myself. Everything, everything, right?
1: You know, I think this is an important point: is that most people I know who've been wrecked, wrecked, wrecked by sexual abuse, if you actually dig into their story, there's a heavy secondary trauma. Yeah. Meaning, um, how did you understand that before? I... What do you mean? The secondary trauma.
0: Not being believed. Right. The longer you sit with it.
1: Yeah. Oftentimes, the first people it's brought up to brought up to are dismissive or sometimes even attacking and if you really piece the story apart that secondary trauma is kind
0: of the bigger deal than the first trauma 100% agree like your counselor like my, my counselor he's just the guy who was in charge of me for a month but my parents those are the people who are supposed to have my back no matter what correct for the rest of their lives and my life and if you go to them and you say somebody hurt me and they're just like, ah, you know, right? We'll get over it. And like, <laughs> no, dude. And they're supposed to be protecting you. So if it's doubly as traumatizing, I would say then, if you can just you do that you can put in a box, the abuse you can put in a box and be like, this happened then. This guy was a piece right. of garbage. obviously we're
1: talking about a situation where the abuse is by um, someone who's not a family member.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I, I but understand.
1: which which are a lot of cases, a lot of cases that, for certainly. And that, that secondary trauma piece, I'm thinking of this girl I know who was abused by her brother in this case. And even that is like, okay, so I was abused by my brother, but my parents are my real protectors. A so brother's a brother. And she brings it to the parents and the parents said to her, if this gets out, and specifically if you get the JCW, you're no longer our daughter. Like that was their reaction
0: to it. And they're trying to protect themselves. Like... I know that my abuser, his family felt a lot of, they were punished for this too. The family was punished. People didn't want to do business with his brothers or whatever it is, the the parents. And to me, they're victims of this too. Right. And I mean, in this story, the parents would be victims, like byproduct victims of the brother doing what he was doing.
1: 100%.
0: And they just didn't want to be victims.
1: Yeah, I heard a story recently um, which kind of surprised me in the context of sexual abuse because I thought I kind of heard everything. But so a boy who was sexually abused, years later, his sister comes to him and says that, I knew when the abuse was going on. I knew there was something wrong. And at some point in time, I think I was even knocking on the door when there was abuse um, going on. And I've been carrying that for 30 something years, the guilt that what happened to you was because of me. And I mean, when you talk about the victim being kind of much more than the victim's self, it's extended. Yeah, 100%. And like when my I heard parents that.
0: Victims, you know, they had to worry about me. But yeah, it's never just one person and, and the person it happens to, it's the whole support system.
1: Right. And that's a rough one. How often people do that with. Um, with With family where they blame spouses or children for what the the person what the person uh um, person doing something wrong when often they are the they're the- they're the victim
0: yeah, and my abuser was married, so his wife also becomes a victim when i press right. charges
1: hundred percent
0: it's a big net
1: yeah, so how did you carry that um responsibility?
0: For me, the whole goal of me pressing charges was to make sure, in a way that could be very accountable, which is the law, that it won't happen again. That was like the only reason I did it. So it didn't matter how much money they offered me to to drop charges. The night before I testified, I I got a call. Uh, to they offered me a million dollars. To, they to not. Uh, a person community, involved or? in the community called me the night before I was going to testify and said, uh, you're making a big Chil Hashem again. And he said, um, we'll we'll move the guy to to Arkansas. You can get a weekly report on what he's up to. We'll make sure he'll never be able to do it again. And we'll wire you a million dollars.
1: Okay, so let's, let's dive into this Chil Hashem thing, because it's probably one of the most um, common reasons given for not talking about um abuse right that and lush and hara i think that's changed i don't think it's changed really no you know what i think i think that in the macro things have changed like when we talk about the concepts of it in general things have changed hmm. when a specific situation comes up in the community where like the details were as confused Mm. each time. And I've, I've seen it. I've seen it with recent, recent cases. I was involved in a case in Miami Beach a couple of years ago, and I was very, very disappointed with the way the school handled it, with the way um, parents handled it, the way that other members of the community. I just, I was not impressed Do you
0: think across the board people should be pressing charges?
1: I think that it should be on the table. Right. Yeah, I think it should be on the table. So
0: I was told by the rabbis of my community is that if you need it to be done, if you need to press charges for your recovery, then you should do it.
1: That's an interesting um, approach.
0: It's a little diplomatic. And rabbis know that they'd get into a lot of trouble if they even tried to tell somebody not to. I'm not to.
1: sure I agree with that, though.
0: If you need it for your recovery. Well, I
1: mean the question. That's one was, aspect of it, but then meaning, let's say, let's say there was a legitimate threat, right? You have someone who's legitimate right, threat. Right. And the victim doesn't want to press charges for any number of reasons okay they believe it's halasham so we as a community shouldn't step forward and well the community i think especially someone.
0: when you're a rabbi they think that they can hold that person accountable they think that you know we'll just move him around or he just needs to get married or like they <laughs> think they have the answers right but i don't think they i mean the older rabbis for sure they don't really get that these are Chronic, like this is a this is an issue. Like these people who abuse once have tried before and will try again.
1: Yeah, Mayor um, Mayor Seewald, um once told me someone he confronted said he admitted to uh, abusing a couple of his students, and he said a dibuk came over me, oh, a demon came over me. Convenient. And he was saying it in such a way. Uh, let's take him at his word, right, right? Let's take it. So mayor said, "Okay, I hear you. I feel bad, but how do I know a demon doesn't take over you tomorrow?" Exactly. And I think that's actually, um, I, I think it's a, almost a nice way of of looking at it, which is, okay, I get it. I feel for you. I do, but how do we know that a demon doesn't come over you tomorrow and then destroys someone's life? And what you're saying is, it's not just that person. It's right the the ripple.
0: There's a massive ripple, ripple effect. Yeah. Like when I
1: heard the story of the sister who years later, the trauma was almost as if the, not almost as if, their words, as they got into therapy, started healing themselves, the major trauma that was impacting themselves, their family, their marriage, their life, was the fact that at the age of 9 or 10 years old, they knew that their sibling was getting abused, and then the guilt and responsibility they took on for not stopping it. It's crazy.
0: It's equivalent, I would say. Yeah, she's carrying a responsibility that wasn't hers. Exactly.
1: Exactly. If you think of it as a um a demon coming in, taking over someone and then infecting uh like using that opportunity to to input a a bacteria of sorts. And then it like it spreads. This person has shame, this person has guilt, this person has a secret.
0: Yeah. Um I have my I've been recently hearing stories from my sisters. Um you know, I've three younger sisters. Two of them were at home when I was like nineteen, really having pretty bad suicidal ideation stuff. I remember it was air of and I was having a really hard time. I was on the train tracks near our house and and the holiday started and my dad was still driving in the car trying to get trying to get to me. Um but you know my mom was calling me, where are you? I'm not telling anybody where I am and whatever. And finally, you know, I told my friend and he came and he jumped the fence and they they got me. And, and she, my sister told me and she remembers, I don't know, she was like 17. And she remembers me coming home just like pale and just completely not there. She's like just glazed over and I lay on the couch while they had their, the meal. And then I went to the hospital afterwards. But like what it must have meant for her or what it did to her to see her brother... No one's really talking about it either. No one wants to say, like, oh, Herschel just tried to kill himself, you know? So everyone's right. like, oh, Herschel's not feeling well. Right. You know, you try to, like... And then to and they up, know there's something much more... Something so it just is correct. going on. Like, there's no reason why your mom is on the phone on the holiday when it's not allowed, right. unless it's life or death. Right. But he's walking around. He seems okay. But, you know, so... That has an effect on them too,
1: right in some ways you know i've I've told this to people many times I've said that you know what's difficult about your story is that your father's an okay dude and he's not a total jackass so it's not I'm not mentioning your story. I'm using this as an example for something, and my point is is that let's say someone is struggling in their relationship with their dad, if their dad's a total jackass, then they can kind of embrace that and easy. move forward it's easy it's It's easier in some way. When they've had a very troubled relationship with their dad, and there's parts that are good and parts that are bad, but ways they've been hurt really badly. It's much more difficult to embrace that, take it on and say, okay, this is something I need to heal. I need to heal the relationship with my dad and really own the um the parts of themselves that have been hurt yeah. by their dad. And kind of the same, the the same here. Is, you know, when someone's sexually abused, when someone's suicidal, when someone is going through that, those very, very intense and obvious difficult life experiences, so they can own it in and, and the pain of it, when they step into it, they can own that and say, Oh wow, I really went through something difficult. The people that they go to for help will be, oh wow, you really went through something difficult. You go to a detective, say, Oh wow, you can this is something really bad that happened to you. We can press charges. Your sister can't do that,
0: right? There's no book, textbook on how to deal with a a, a small a, a young girl whose brother was molested, and she's just witnessing the after effects. Exactly, <laughs> it's not right. in the DSM. You know, <laughs> right. It's like everyone knows what it's like, what happens when when you're abused, yeah, what it, the path is, what you need to do. But nobody knows what. like for the support system. The support system right. needs a support system. <laughs> exactly. Right.
1: Uh, there. That's and because. Like, it's, it doesn't feel like a big enough issue, so it makes it a much more difficult issue. What do you mean it doesn't address? feel like
0: a big enough issue?
1: It's- Meaning, if you walk into a therapist's office and you say, I was sexually abused in camp, I'm a camp counselor, you know, multiple times, attempted sodomy, actual sodomy, any of those things, that's like, wow, Herschel, we, we really need to give you support. Right. Your sister walking in with her story doesn't necessarily get the same understanding from someone else. It takes a certain sensitivity to life and pain and struggle and the way suffering um, affects us in order to understand how difficult that experience could be. Mm -hmm. Like When I heard this story of this woman who, as a child, took guilt, took the responsibility for their brother being sexually abused, part of what I was hearing also was that She had a very hard time accepting this as, oh come on, this is difficult. He was sexually abused. You're gonna feel bad that you took responsibility for it, and that she had probably approached a few people for help who didn't give it the, yeah. Even though, even with abuse, I remember when I, um, someone I called and I said that I was sexually abused by this person and I can use your help with it, and said, what did he do to you? Did he rape you? He said, no, he didn't rape me. And I've heard very few cases of situations where adult has actually
0: raped a child. I used to wish I was raped. It's a lot easier to get raped. You have no responsibility. It's so easy to not take responsibility for that. If you're groomed and, I mean, he showed me porn and, you know, made me feel like he told me he loved me, made us feel like we were in a partnership and then i'm 12 but i'm i go home and i'm like what just happened how did i let this happen i even was able to shut it down for two weeks so that means that i had power in the relationship so it's like the responsibility that i care but if he just like pinned me down and did what he did it would have been a lot easier to first of all run for help right away tell somebody that somebody forced you into something as opposed to you feeling like you got involved in something bad personally right. i feel like that's what i would prefer <laughs> right. if i had to
1: choose <laughs> i don't think anyone would prefer it but i understand what you're saying yeah. meaning it's exactly our point right that there are aspects of it when it's so bad that it's easier to embrace Easy and to this kind at, of complexity
0: identify say this yeah. is a problem and walk away from exactly. It. exactly
1: the confusion is where it makes it tough but you know this thing of when we talk about child sex abuse this is what we're talking about because if someone is pinned down and forcefully raped it doesn't matter if they're an adult or a child right there's a sexual offense yeah, there yeah. so when we talk about child sexual abuse what we're saying is that were it not for a child in this interaction it wouldn't be abusive right Meaning what made this interaction abusive it's is because imbalance. it was an adu- exactly the yeah. imbalance power yeah. were it two adults and all of these same things happened then It would have looked like a consensual relationship. A
0: toxic consensual relationship. (laughs) Sure, but But a consensual, right? Exactly. There would be no, you can't do anything about that. Not
1: to say that sexual abuse, child sexual abuse doesn't happen sometimes forced, but that would be abuse anyway. If someone is forcibly raped, like I said, it's it's a forceful rape. What's the difference? It can even be a, a 13 year old at knife point raping a 30 year old woman. You don't say, oh, it was just a child. No, right. it's forceful rape. Right, They were right. force. But so when we talk about child sex abuse, the reason I point that out is because so many people, as adults, looking back at their story of child, of, um, child of being abused as a child, they somehow make this mistake of saying, oh, but I agreed to it. But you know, so I was for, for me it was forceful, right? Okay. Where I was locked in a room and he mounted me forcefully and used me to bring himself to orgasm, and. I still blame myself. I blame myself for being too weak. To um, I called myself too weak. I said like, mm. I had a wrestling match and he won. Like why wasn't I strong enough to withstand him? So it wasn't. It's not so simple. We find many yeah. ways. The mind is created. We find many ways it to negatively. Exactly, because yeah. that's the if we which is well, like the demon infecting us with something. Yeah, that's what that's like. That's a big part of the infection is that something happened and it's our fault. If we didn't, if that wasn't a component of the abuse, we would immediately go and get it addressed. Like, hey, this thing happened to me. I was walking down the street and some guy threw a rock at my head. Right. Right. So you'd immediately you'd walk into your house and you'd say, some Someone dude I just never met. You, I mean,
0: right? Exactly. And the, the number one question I think I was always asked when I came forward was, what took you so long? You know what's
1: that's It's crazy because it didn't take you long.
0: It didn't. I'm not 40. (laughs) People are waiting a lot longer than me. So then, I mean, in the court, his lawyer asked me, you smoked weed before? I'm like, yeah, so is it possible that you made it up? Or you have a civil case? Uh, Yeah, so that means that you're in it for money, and it took you two and a half years to concoct this story or, like, whatever it is. It's just, but, like, everyone thinks that that time delay is a reason to discredit but it just feels like it only gets worse the longer it goes on, the longer you don't talk about it.
1: There was a situation recently in a school, um, not far from where we sit here, where a child came forward pretty immediately about the teacher. And the response was, you can believe a child over an adult. It's crazy. So it's there's always something. And we don't have to buy in too much into the reasons, as right. if that's the reason. It's not that you waited too long. It's not that... Right. It's just, like you said, people are very uncomfortable um, with these things. That being said, I do want to dive into the Chil Hashem thing, uh, because I have some thoughts, and I'm wondering what what you think about that now, just objectively speaking. Okay. Is your conclusion that I don't care if it's a Chil Hashem, I'm going to say anyway, or that it's not a Chil Hashem? Like, what's your... When, when you're being told multiple times, you're, being, you're offered a million dollars not to do something because this guy on the other end of the line believes that,
0: that it's a chol Hashem. Um, what are your thoughts? It is a chol Hashem, but it's like a necessary chol Hashem. Maybe, maybe I haven't thought this through enough, but to, to put what's going on in an insular community out there for everyone to see, especially a community that is a target for hate, Throughout the world, to then say, "Oh yeah, here, here's another reason why, why you can really come at us," is scary for leaders of a community. So I understand that. And don't give them more weapons. Um, but also the rabbanim say the rabbis are saying that not coming forward is just like um, murder, like protecting abusers, or they're saying that abusers abusing is like a form of murder which even according to the Torah, you're supposed to bring them to the authorities. So there's all these reasons that they justify it, but I think in the end, um, accountability comes from, for me, the most effective thing that I felt I could do to make sure it doesn't happen again was to get the law involved.
1: So you think that by coming forward about the abuse you desecrated God's name. I mean, that's what Chalashem means.
0: Maybe, Maybe. but I, it doesn't matter to me. I did what I had to do to make sure nobody else gets hurt. If, if, if I found out that he was out there molesting somebody because I didn't say anything, I would not be able to live with myself.
1: Okay, so let's let's piece this apart because I'm going to have to disagree with you, obviously, on on this. I don't think it's Chalashem.
0: I'm saying I don't care.
1: Right, and I understand that. Right, <laughs> I understand that approach. Um, let's, Let's take a step back and not look at um, our community, because we got blinded by our, our own community. Right. Okay. So let's take the Catholic Church, for example, right? So a whatever, okay? A whoever they're, you know. <laughs> the Vatican. Okay, a right. A Catholicism, right? Meaning a desecration of Catholicism. So when you're looking at the Catholic Church, for example, and you hear that there was a priest which abused a child, That's potentially, okay, it's a desecration of God's name, right? Potentially.
0: How they would see it.
1: No, I'm saying you, how us on outsiders would look at it. It's not a, a desecration of... So they're saying it's a desecration of the family name, right? It's a desecration of this religion. Oh well, yeah. I right? mean, you would
0: look at it... The sanctity of, of the Vatican... Is, has been called
1: into question. So yeah. I want to know which one calls into question more. A priest, one-off priest who... Abuses a child, this is what happens, or the fact that the Catholic Church, as a system, protected them. has protected
0: that's the abusers. Big, that's, that is the desecration yeah. of God's name. Mm. So, then you're saying you're flipping it, and you're saying that the rabbis protecting the abusers is the In, ultimate, the, sh- in the name of Chel Hashem, is the Chel Hashem.
1: I'm going to go further I and that. say that there has not been a bigger desecration of God's name in the Orthodox Jewish community than the mishandling of child sexual
0: abuse. There's articles about it in the New York Times and all those things about, you know, the DA at the time. We got a hung jury, but there were also articles saying, like, why can't a uh, religious Jew be prosecuted for sexual abuse in Brooklyn these days? Like, this was a real thing. Like, they really just... He was under a lot of pressure to prosecute from Jews after years of letting them go. Understood. And it it was a big Chil Hashem, the fact that they kept walking.
1: I don't... that Right, that they kept yeah, walking. that Meaning,
0: is a I'm agreeing with you.
1: Right, the Chil Hashem is not... If if you're... Just objectively, okay? You're looking at it, the Catholic Church with or the Orthodox Judaism. I use Catholic Church just so that we're far enough removed from it. <laughs> we, that don't we don't get
0: emotional about it. Right,
1: we don't get <laughs> biased in in any way. So now we can go back to Orthodox Judaism. Objectively, do you think someone is surprised that there's molestation in the Orthodox community? No. It's not. It's your, everywhere. Your parents were surprised. My parents were surprised also as Balchuvas, I'm sure. But that's a fairy tale la-la land that you can step into a world that no bad exists. Yeah. That's just crazy speak. No one actually believes this exists, that you can walk into a community and there's no stealing and there's no abuse And there's no lying, and everything's amazing. Okay, there's just 60% obesity rates, but everyone's perfectly healthy. Come on. (laughs) So no one thinks that. No one thinks that. The real Chil Hashem is when, when there is a desecration at the institutional level of the principles that they claim to stand for. It is not godly to shut down abuse. It is not godly to leave a child with doubts when they were the one... That was uh, that when when they were the one that was abused, I was speaking to um the head of one of the major Jewish schools a number of years ago about a teacher who had um kissed a kissed on the lips a young child mm-hmm. and the school's response was to fire him at the end of the year, and the dean was actually telling me this as something that was the like we did good. We fired him at the end of the year. I said, you recognize that if it was two teachers making out in the middle of the day, they'd both be fired for being gay. Right. Right. But because it was an adult and a child, both male, somehow you let him stay to the end of the year. So like, we understand what was the variable that allowed this guy to stay through the end of the year, the fact that it was a child. That's the desecration of God's name, not the fact that it exists. People are human and people make mistakes. So that's my opinion. I'm happy. I'm not I an agree. expert on it. I agree with you.
0: I, I've never really... This is the thing, again, with my just being authentic attitude and not... I don't really think about. Is it really a chel Hashem? Is it not a chel Hashem? Am I doing the right... Like, I'm doing what I have to do. And that's it. I, I didn't And I care. understand that. I never cared if it was a chel or not.
1: Right. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. You're saying, if I, if I understand correctly, is you're... Saying, I felt I was doing the right thing. This is what I needed to do. I did not care about. Yeah.
0: I'm willing to debate anybody who disagrees with me, but like...
1: So, you know how you arrived at that conclusion?
0: Is being pressured, but still having to do it?
1: Because God was desecrated in your eyes. Meaning, if God was communicated to you in the way he is, which I always say it, I'll say it a thousand times. King David says, taste and you will find that God is good. Right. So if we know that God is good, then God certainly doesn't want this. doesn't want abuse in a community, but when it happens, he certainly does want it protected and covered up, and done so in the name of God. Like, that would be it's the least godly thing to do.
0: These people would be stoned if we had uh, uh, the Sanhedrin. If we, yeah. They, yeah, any abuser would be taken and right. stoned.
1: Right. So because, my point is, is that because God's name was desecrated in your eyes, you don't think God is who God is. You don't think God is good. So you think that God can come to a conclusion that would be bad for you and bad for the rest of the community, and therefore you say, I don't care.
0: Because the representatives of exactly. this God are the ones. There. Yes,
1: they've desecrated in your eyes. God's name has been desecrated in your eyes. That is what I'm suggesting. I hear that. So therefore you can come to the conclusion that I don't care what God has to say versus the conclusion of that God would only be supportive of something that is that is good. If God was asked... Should we confront child sex abuse in the Jewish community? Are we meant to believe that God would be supportive of any move that would keep this silenced, keep abusers protected? impossible there's just no there's no possible way
0: It's weird when you get God involved in this. <laughs> I understand like, I think God would just get rid of it if he didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> we can go there. This right? is yeah, we don't have enough. Yeah, time no, to... we can go
1: right, we can go there. I think that the way I look at it today is that kind of the game is free choice, yeah, right? Yeah. And if we don't have free choice, then we're just living in the dimension of angels and there's plenty of those worlds that exist. Yeah. But it's a different conversation at a different time, I just I, I wanted to dig in on the Chil Hashem. I wanted to see where you were with it. I shared where where I was
0: is that I th- I think I agree with you in in the sense that whoever's protecting evil they're the ones who are making chil hashem. Exactly, but they're they're hoping it never gets out, so it's never a chil hashem if it never gets out. <laughs> but it does. You know why? Because,
1: because it gets in. It always gets. You're in. That's this is the this, and it gets in. <laughs> right, it gets in. Meaning, and that's another point that I've I've made before here is that chil hashem is not just about the people outside. It's not just the the district attorney, and the twelve jury members who see this case. It's not just the reporter. Who writes in a, a news, uh, um, Who who writes a story or looks up the
0: story? It's you. It's me. It's the kids in the community it's the who are growing up. Kids who are like, screw this community.
1: I think it was Meichy Faglin from Aliyah who told me that nearly every single person he's seen, I think it was him, maybe wrong, who's left um, the, from community has been sexually abused or very closely connected to someone who was sexually abused.
0: I don't know. I, I, I don't have the exposure that he Maybe does. it wasn't him. Maybe it wasn't him. But, um, but I'm Actually, saying- no.
1: I'm remembering. Maishi Faglin put it in two categories. Abuse and divorce, or broken homes in some way. Those are the two categories he put it in. As most people, we said, left the firm community were because of this. I've heard from others. It wasn't Maishi Feiglin. I've heard from others that it was, um, uh, how do you call it? Um, every single person he's known who's the trauma, left the community. A trauma made them saying-
0: leave. I feel like it's an excuse that from people make, religious people make, that they can point to trauma and say, our system is perfect. The reason why they left is because they fell through a crack somewhere. There was a traumatic experience. It's I think it's garbage. But
1: I it's not about the abuse in that story anyway. People can handle abuse. It's the mishandling of abuse. I
0: don't I don't think so. I think people can question
1: things, sure. and then leave. <laughs> right, we can have that conversation, but there's something else going on, is that most people who are leaving are not leaving because of some ideological reasons. They're leaving because they don't feel a sense of belonging, they don't feel a sense of community.
0: Right. That's what, And you have to be made to feel uncomfortable before you realize, exactly, I'm ready to leave. Exactly. People stay because they're comfortable. Exactly. And it is comfortable.
1: Right, there, meaning there are many people who stay who don't believe in God at all. They're just robots robots are not robots i think it's possible you and i would have done the same thing had we had not had certain experiences in that certain experiences that made us feel other than because a sense of community a sense of belonging is something that a lot of people that we need and if we don't get it here we're going to get try to get it somewhere else
0: so i had a from psychiatrist he wasn't chabad but he told me that he thinks i would have ended up in the exact same place spiritually whether I had my abuse or not.
1: Right. I understand your point about the, um, the, the blaming. And I feel like that can be an offline conversation. (laughs) You and I can, can have maybe yes, maybe no for individual. I think the point is, is um, the point I was making was something different was that the, the, from the rabbinical leadership, what are they attempting to do? What's their goal? Protect the community. But not protect the community, to to grow the community, for the people in the community to flourish. That's right. their stated It should be. Right. That's their stated goal. And to believe in Hashem and to practice these things. All that's what they're trying to to do. And my argument is is that the single biggest mistake that they've made has been the way they've mishandled abuse. I would extend it, not just sexual abuse, but um issues with uh like the divorce, the, mystic, the get. Yeah. All that stuff. In general, they have not done a good enough job of when there's the powerful and the weak is supporting the weak enough to right that imbalance of
0: power. This is a problem of education. Go ahead. Rabbis need to be educated about what really goes on to a person after a traumatic experience. They have to understand that a messy marriage is also traumatic, that divorce also leads to PTSD in the kids. These are things that, how's a rabbi supposed to know? All he learned was uh, milk and meat and and how to run a kitchen. Right. Kosher. These are things that, like, happen so often, and it's so prevalent in the world, and, you know, the longer we live in this society, the more we're affected by what's going on out there. Like, we all have internet, we right. all know what's going on, and, like, they're pretending it's not happening. They pretend like all the psychology doesn't exist. And it's a real issue that they don't have the tools. They don't even have the language to identify what's going on in their community. They always say, oh, I'm coming at this from a halachic, from a Torah perspective.
1: But in your case, you actually got a lot of support from.
0: I got the support, but like you pointed out, it was kind of like if you have to do this, then do it and oh, they were understood. i also have the sense that they were doing it so that they're not they can't get any flack later right so after the it was the hung really jury, a cya move yeah so after the yeah, <laughs> after the hung jury they said we're going to we can go to trial again right and i was like i don't really want to go to trial and testify again it was a lot and they because they were under pressure to put to give jail time they're like it's jail time you testify or nothing
1: who is under pressure
0: the da in New York. So we were sitting there trying to get no jail time. I went to the, to the RUV, and I asked him, should I try to get the district attorney to settle for a lower felony charge, which would not have any jail time? And he asked me, like, do you need him to be raped in prison? That's what his question was. And I think the, uh, what he was ready to say was, like, if you need him to go to prison, then go for it. But if you don't, then what's the point? Right. But I don't know. It expands
1: beyond. I mean, for me, like when I'm hearing this, like it expands beyond, beyond you. Like these situations are communal ones. Is this guy a threat? Yes, there is something about you as well. What is it that you need to heal? And that's an important part of the equation. But as... Leaders in a community also have to look at what do we have to do to protect. But if I didn't heal,
0: I would have killed myself and my blood would have been on their hands for me coming to them asking for help. I've tried multiple times. I was this close a lot. So they knew that losing me was a real threat.
1: Understood. Where are you now with um, religion, Chabad,
0: Judaism, God? Oh, man. Um it's very complicated. <laughs> so <laughs> I am very much, I would say, involved but personally not bought in. Like I have the feelings. Um I have the hergish as they say. Um but I just can't practice. Something something switched in me. And I'm just uninspired in in the religion aspect of things
1: and how about a relationship with god
0: i stopped caring right i'm too i don't know i don't know how to explain it is it kind
1: of one and the same for you
0: i am like we mentioned before black and white
1: when i say one and the same is is, is religion and god one of the same is judaism yeah. and god one of the same yeah right i mean
0: so this is the thing everyone's like I say this. I'm not. I'm not religious. But if I was, I would have to believe in God, and then I'd have to believe. I would have to believe in the Torah, right? Because that's what I was taught. That's what I'm comfortable with. I I see more holes in all the other ones than I see in my own. So I would buy into that, and then I'd have to buy into literally everything. I'm like, if I decided to be religious, I would be with a yellow Mashiach flag and a black hat tomorrow. Because how can you not? If you believe it, then you have to do it. It's the most mm. messed up I, thing. But I've thrown out everything. Because I
1: hear the thought, but let's imagine ourselves back in time, right? You know, they say there was twenty-six generations of the world according to Judaism. There was twenty-six generations of the world between Adam and Moshe Beno, right. right? So from when the world was created, when man started populating the world, and when there was the Torah, right? Okay, so imagine you and I living in that time frame. How would how might we connect to a God?
0: I don't know. They were hearing things then. They had, they had visions. They had... <laughs> um, I don't know. Right. I don't know if I'd be one of those guys. Meaning? I'd probably be Erev Rav.
1: No, there was no Erev <laughs> Rav. There I'm was saying no... in
0: Mitzrayim, like, there were people like that. There were people who didn't buy in. 80%. 80% of the Jews didn't come out.
1: I, no, I, I'm asking a different question. I'm saying, let's say you were born a thousand years before. If I was
0: born a thousand years ago, you'd have to schlep me into his tent, Avram, to, to tell me to bench.
1: This is before Avram, before benching. Just God. I'm not talking about religion. You're I'm asking me God. if I would
0: find him, just if I would believe in it without anything?
1: Meaning if, if, if I'm asking you a question where you can't, meaning, according to Judaism, that God exists a thousand years before the Torah. Yeah. Okay, but you couldn't say anything about the Torah because the Torah wasn't around. Okay. Okay, so if I asked you the question about God, you couldn't go into some escape hatch about Judaism. You'd have to answer the question about God. Okay, so, so that's that, what you're saying. Take yes, Judaism out of it. Take Judaism out of it. I
0: don't know. I only know what I see. Right,
1: and you know what this is? You know what I see? What do you see? This is exactly what chil Hashem does. If the rabbis want to understand what chil Hashem does... This is what it is. This is exactly what it does, mm. is that they behave in a way, they behave in a way, They rabbis, communities, everyone, they behave in a way that can have someone sitting right here today not being able to develop any relationship with God without seeing through the polluted lens that they've created.
0: You want to hear something? That new? is a chalash. You want to hear something that's funny? Uh, I was learning with one of these rabbis, and he said... Uh, he mentioned Hashem and whatever, and this is I'm I'm not religious, and he knows that, and but he's he's trying to make up for <laughs> yelling at me about Hashem. So he's like, "Come, let's learn," you know, you know, I love you. We'll be friends again. So I'm sitting there and I'm learning with him, and he said, um, "Do you believe in God?" And I said, "I don't know. I don't like to think about it because it's like a never-ending story, and I just it doesn't help me, I, so I don't think about it." And then he said. Do you think the Rebbe got it wrong? <laughs> Which is the most emotional argument you can ask to somebody who's been like completely indoctrinated into Chabad and the Rebbe's a, you know, can do no wrong. And I even now it's hard for me to even fathom that the Rebbe was a human in a way. But like he said, Do you think the Rebbe got it wrong? I'm like, no. So he's he like punched me on the arm. He's like, You're just lazy. <laughs> like <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'm just lazy, but I don't know. I just can't do it. It doesn't feel authentic.
1: I'm not, I'm not here promoting or encouraging. No, I know, but I'm saying. What's sad for me is that someone can do something that can rob someone else of a relationship with God. Like, that's what's sad to me, that a human being can do something that can rob another human being of a relationship with God. But when I ask you the question of, can you imagine a time where Judaism did not exist and what developing relationship with God would have been like? It's like, you don't even know where to start. It sounds to me like I'm asking you, you know. Right.
0: Well, just, I mean, it's such an yeah, anomaly con- that collapsed. Abraham found God. The monotheism was created. It, I don't think it was a given, the way things were.
1: It didn't it didn't happen, but there was still a search, and it didn't have to be um, collapsed with Judaism. That's all I'm saying. What well, my point is is that there is God, and there's Judaism, and there's probably a third thing, which is the distorted view of Judaism that you were fed, and the distorted view of Judaism that I was fed, and that doesn't have to be collapsed into God. Like I wanna, I wanna channel mm-hmm. Abraham. I wanna go back to a time where there was no guilt and no shame.
0: And no kippah, and no tzitzis, and no Shabbos.
1: Maybe not, but there was an authentic search. It was an authentic and genuine search. I can respect So during that time, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist for anyone else. Someone else is, I got my kippah on, I got my Shabbos, I got, you know, fine, I've, I've, I've reconnected in that way. But there was a time where I didn't. There was a time where I absolutely didn't have those things. And to be able to go back to that place... For me, there was no kippah, there was no Shabbos, there was no nothing. You're not going to guilt me with any of it. I'm going to have an authentic relationship with um, a God. And what does God mean? I'll just start with Creator. Was there someone who created it? Was someone who created me? Was there? Maybe. And if there is, then I want to know who that is. And I don't need any of the intermediaries, any of the middle men, any of the rules, any of the anything else. And this to me exactly is what I'm saying. This to me is a chila Hashem. That when... Someone is not able to just to answer that question, simply to go on that exploration in an authentic way because they were polluted by someone else saying they were acting in the name of God. So when someone else hears that question of God, it brings up all of those negative associations. Now we know. Why Hashem is such a negative thing? It wasn't the people outside the community that were affected were affected by it. It was the people inside the
0: community that were affected by it. I don't feel hurt by the community. I don't feel like the community did me any wrong. And the older I get, and you know, now that I have my own family, I see how important the community is. It, I mean, the the charity that goes on in our communities, the way we take care of each other, the way that you know, every Jewish man or every religious man essentially has a boys' club that they go to, you know, they go to the Kiddush, they go to shul, and they get to hang out. These are things that for our mental health is important.
1: This is all the belonging I was referring to. And this is,
0: you know, during COVID, I think from communities benefited a lot more than people who weren't part of communities because they still had the synagogues and they still had classes on Zoom and everyone kept in touch a lot more than than everyone kind of fragmented during COVID. I think these things, there's a massive benefit to being part of a from community. And I think that the rabbis are trying to protect that But they're not willing to weed out the evil. They're worried that weeding out or like taking care of the bad in the community will make everything disintegrate. Right. And and my argument is that
1: I see it. My argument is that that's a human mistake. Yeah. And that's not godly. Yeah. On that note, thank you. Thank Thank you so much much for uh, for joining. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Look forward to uh, watching your story evolve.